Uh, seniors, uh, today is your day, your day of recognition, and so uh, we just want to say, you know, how proud we are of you. I know your parents are proud of you. I know you're proud of yourself for, for making it through, for accomplishing this, this feat. I mean, many people just think, oh, they're just graduating from high school, but I mean, this is really a major accomplishment in your life, and so we want to recognize that today. Uh, as you press out into the world, you'll have many more accomplishments, uh, hopefully in the future ahead of you, but but, man, we just want to recognize you today and say congratulations uh, for what you have done um, and, and for what hopefully you will do in your life. And, and today I thought, well, as Senior Recognition Day, then uh, I wanted to preach a sermon that, that focuses on that, focuses on us moving out into the world. And, and this is certainly a, senior, a sermon that is, is directed towards those who are seniors uh, moving out into the world, but, but it's also a sermon for everyone. The question that we're asking today is, how can you accomplish your purpose? How can you accomplish your purpose? Everybody needs to know how they can accomplish their purpose, not just seniors, but particularly those who are experiencing major life change right now. Our text today, the main text, is going to be 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, and, and then uh, 11, verse 1. Uh, we'll, we'll kind of jump around, and I'll put the text up on the the, the screen for you today, but just to kind of get us into what we're going to be exploring today, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31 says, So whatever you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to, to come and, and to gather and to, to hear your word, Lord, even though we're gathered in our own living rooms. God, we thank you for this. We thank you for uh, the work that you've done in the life of these seniors. that They have uh, accomplished uh, school so far and, and have many more accomplishments to go. God, we pray that this day, this sermon, this day itself would be an encouragement to them. An encouragement to them as they press out into the world. Encouragement for all those who are looking for purpose and meaning in life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we all need, we all desire purpose. Uh, I don't know anyone who doesn't want their life to have purpose. Now, at times we might say, I don't feel like my life has purpose. And, and I believe that feeling points even more so for a desire for purpose in life. You see, purpose is necessary. Purpose, it, it guides our life decisions. It influences our behavior. It shapes our goals. It offers us a sense of direction and it creates meaning in life. Your life purpose is what gets you up in the morning. You see, purpose is, it is powerful. And naturally, seniors, as you are heading out into the world, you are asking, what is my purpose in life? What am I supposed to be doing? Now, on one level, that question is, is 100% right and good. That one question, on one level, that, that question is 100% appropriate. You have to decide, you know, or you, I hope by now you have decided whether you're going to go to school or not. And hopefully you have decided which school that is, that is going to be. And thinking about your major, what your career is going to be, what job you're going to have. And if you're not going to go to school, you're thinking right now, well, where am I going to be employed? What, what, what career am I going to explore? What am I going to press into? And these questions are good and these questions are right. 
And I'm sure that, that a lot more than that, and even those questions are swirling around in your mind right now because those questions were swirling around in my mind when I was in your position. And in some sense, you might even be in a better position than I was when I graduated from high school. You see, graduating from high school, I knew that I was going to go to college. Uh, in, in Georgia, if you kept a B average through, through high school and you graduated with a B, uh, you were able to go to college for free. The state would pay for that through the Hope Scholarship as long as you kept a B average throughout your college career. And so I knew I was going to take advantage of that, but, but I had absolutely no idea what my career was going to be. I had absolutely no idea then what my major was going to be, and so I entered college undeclared. I took all of my core classes, and then uh, when I transferred to the University of Georgia my junior year, I, I had to decide, well, what is my major going to be? And I'd, I'd taken some biology classes, and I, I liked biology, and so I decided I am going to be a biologist. Fast forward a couple of years, and man, a whole lot of work later, uh, I, I knew that I wasn't going to pursue biology as a career. I didn't want to go and get a master's in biology. I didn't want to get a PhD. I didn't want to go work in some research lab somewhere. And so I began a career in sales. And even as I began that career in sales, I, I still was asking, what is my purpose in life? What, what am I supposed to accomplish in life? What am I supposed to be doing? And for over a decade... I was asking that same question until I surrendered to vocational ministry. I continued to ask that question. And it wasn't then until I, I finally figured out this is what my purpose in life is going to be. This is what God has called me to do with my life. And I know many of you are asking those questions right now as you seek to figure out what your vocational purpose in life is going to be. And on one level, that question is 100% right and good. It's 100% appropriate because you've got to figure out where you're going to go to school. You've got to figure out what career you are going to press into. And my hope is that it does not take you over a decade to figure out what your purpose in life is going to be as far as what your vocation is going to be. But on another level, and what I really want us to push into today is that you already have your purpose in life. And I would argue that, that, that the purpose that we are going to talk about today is your chief purpose in life. Every other thing that you do in life should be subservient to this particular purpose. And if you press into this purpose, your life will have meaning. You will never be wondering, am I making a difference in this world? Am, am I accomplishing my purpose in life? And so how? How can you accomplish your purpose? Well, in order to accomplish your purpose, you must know what your purpose in life is. And so we need to ask the question, what is your purpose in life? And as I've already read the text, but right near the end of chapter 10, verse 31, Paul says this, So whatever you do, whatever you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And Paul delivers that statement near the end of a section about how Jews and Gentiles can, can operate together, how, how Christians, how, how they can interact in the same church, as well as how they might be able to interact with those outside of the church. And one of the keys to unity, one of the keys to life, Paul says here, is that whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And earlier in the letter, Paul tells us why and, and how we can seek to glorify God when he says in, in 1 Corinthians 6, and I didn't include a slide for this, but, but he says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with the price, so glorify God in your body. 
You see what Paul is saying there is that, that Jesus has come and Jesus has died for you. Jesus has redeemed you so that you might be a part of his family. And so we are then to seek to glorify God because we have been bought by the blood of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit, he says, lives within us. And, and that tells us then that, that we can glorify God. You see, you don't glorify God just by manning up and trying hard on your own. No, you glorify God as the Spirit works in your life so that you might be able to do everything to the glory of God. And so then what is our chief purpose in life? What is, what is your chief purpose in life, seniors? Your, our chief purpose in life is to glorify God in all that we do. That's why we are here. That's why we exist. We are to glorify God in every single thing that we do. If we do that, we will have accomplished our purpose in life. We will have meaning and significance. We will experience fulfillment and joy. We will never wonder, am I making a difference? Am I accomplishing my purpose in life? You, me, everyone, we were all created by the Lord to glorify God. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to glorify God? I mean, glorify is not necessarily a word that we use on a regular basis. At least I don't use this word on a regular basis, except for when I'm, when I'm preaching or when I'm teaching or something like that. This is when this word typically comes up. And so it's not an everyday vocabulary word. And so what does it mean to glorify God? Well, when you hear that word, you might think that, you know, you, you glorify God by making God beautiful. And that's not necessarily wrong. I mean, certainly beauty is, is associated with God's glory. He is the most beautiful being in, in all of, of the universe. We certainly want to shine forth his beauty. But, but one thing that we have to understand is that we don't glorify God by making him more beautiful than he already is. Our job is not to give God a makeover. Our job is not to make God look better than, than he already is. God's beauty is already at max capacity. God's glory is already at, at max capacity. And so we don't add anything to God's beauty. We don't add anything to God's glory at all. And so if that's not the case, then, then how do we glorify God? Well, let me just say we glorify God by, by magnifying God. But, but even magnifying God can be taken in two different ways. You know, as I was a biology major, as I've already mentioned, and, and as a biology major, I had to take a number of science classes, and all of these science classes had labs that were associated with them. And so if, unless you want to do a whole lot of extra schoolwork when you're at school, don't pursue a degree in the sciences because you have to take your regular classes plus a lot of labs and, and also had to do a, a senior project. And, and this included a lab that I had to do. And so I, I chose for that senior product project to, to uh, do it in a, in a developmental biology lab. And, and I was going to study baby squid and, and, how they, and how they developed. And that was my my senior project. And so every day I would have to go to this lab and, and I, would, I would look at, at the baby squid who were in this little Petri dish uh, developing. And I had to write down all kind of observations and things like that and write a paper at the end of that. But here's the thing, I, I could not really see what was going on with the baby squid just by looking in the Petri dish with my naked eye. I had to take that Petri dish and I had to, I had to put it underneath a microscope. And when I did that, I could see these squid in all of, of its glory, right? Well, what they look like, all, all the intricate details of them, how they moved, how they were developing over time, week after week, day after day, as I would go in there and observe them. And I could see all of that, but, but I needed a microscope 
in order to see them. But while I needed a microscope to view the baby squid in all their glory, we we don't need a microscope to view God in all of his glory. Microscopes magnify in the sense that they they take that which is small and, and and they make it big. But here's the thing, we don't need to make God big. He is already big. God is is immense. Our job is not to make a small God bigger than he really is. And so we don't magnify God with the microscope. Instead, we are to do the opposite. Instead of walking in a biology lab where there are all these microscopes laying out, we are supposed to walk into an astronomy lab where there's this massive telescope. And if you've ever looked through a telescope, you know that it, that it helps you view and see things for what they really are. And so, for instance, if we were to, to pull up and, or Google, you know, the Hubble telescope and the pictures that, that it has taken, and I've, I did this this last week, it's pretty amazing. Uh, certainly recommend men for you to do that. You know, we would see all of the, 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 these amazing pictures and, and pictures of galaxies that they, it has taken pictures of. And we look out into, into the night sky and we see these small stars that just look like little pinpricks. But then you look through the, the lens of the Hubble telescope and you see those stars for what they really are. It's just part of these immense, huge, magnificent, glorious galaxies. You see the difference? A microscope takes that which is small and makes it bigger than it really is. A telescope allows us to see that which might look small to us for what it really is. And that's what we are to do when we glorify God. But we don't make God look bigger than he really is with the microscope. No, we use a telescope to bring all of his glory, all of his immenseness into focus. The amazing, the wonderful, the unimaginable depth of the character of God, we are to seek to reveal all of that to the world. We are to exalt God. We are to worship God for who he really is. We are to glorify God by by seeing and savoring and finding our meaning and purpose in him and by helping others to see him and his immense greatness, to see him in all of his glory. That's what we are supposed to be about. We are to show forth the glory of God, His infinite greatness, His beauty, His worth, His character to the world. You were created to glorify God. Now at this point, some people might be saying, well, well, isn't that kind of selfish on God's part? Like, God created us so that we might glorify Him. Isn't that, isn't that selfish? Is that wrong? Is God using us? Well, at first it might seem selfish on God's part. I mean, God created us to glorify him, to make him great, to make him worship, to worship him, excuse me. But, and this is where we've got to remember, God is the creator. And here's the thing, creators create with purpose in mind. I don't know if you've ever watched the show uh, Shark Tank, but, but it's a show that allows inventors and it's a show that allows creators and, and business owners to come on and, and to pitch their product to the sharks or, or investors and, and try, to, try to seek some investment to try to seek them to help them grow their business. And as each creator, pr- uh, uh, as each creator pitches their product, one of the main things that, that the sharks want to know besides like, how am I going to make my money back is why this product? What, what, is the, what is the purpose of this product? Why did you create this product? How does this product function? 
And creators must create with purpose in mind. We don't just create something for no reason, nor do we create and then ask the created, what is your purpose going to be? That is not how it works with us. That's not how it, how it works with God either. God created with purpose in mind. And our purpose is to glorify God in all that we do. And when we accomplish that purpose for which we have been created, we experience joy and fulfillment and satisfaction. The psalmist says in Psalm 1611, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You see, God is not using us. Instead, God is actually calling us to experience true everlasting joy by fulfilling the purpose for which he has created us. And God is not only calling us to experience true joy, he also makes a way for us to experience true joy. Jesus gave his life so that we might experience true joy. Peter in his first epistle says this, chapter 3, verse 18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being, made, put, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. John John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. And later in John, he says this in verse 17, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. You see, God is not using us far from it. God actually died so that we might be able to come to know Him. And that's what it means for us to have eternal life, that we would know God, that we would actually have a, a relationship with God. You see, we were created for a relationship with God. And that's what we will spend all of eternity doing, having a relationship with God and experiencing the blessings of that relationship. See, we weren't, we're not going to, we don't receive eternal life at first for our benefit in the sense that, that it's because we want to be able to do what we want to do. Right? I used to say, you know, man, I can't wait to get to heaven because then I'm going to be able to surf all of the time. Or I'm going to be able to rock climb all of the time. Or whatever X hobby it is that you want to put in there. I'm not saying that we may not be able to do that. We may not be able to enjoy life in that way. I certainly hope that we are able to do that. But, but that's not the reason why we have eternal life. We have eternal life so that we might know God. So that we might know our Creator so that we might have a relationship with Him. And certainly there are benefits and blessings of that relationship, that we might live in this world that is perfect for all of eternity, and we might enjoy the fruit of this world forever. And that might mean surfing or golfing or rock climbing or whatever it is that you like to do. But the chief purpose and the chief aim of eternal life is so that we might know God. He is the only true God. And we might know Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. We were created for a deep, intimate relationship with the creator of this universe, the God of this universe. And those who know God, they experience true joy now, and they will experience that forevermore. Those who know God can accomplish their purpose in life, which is to bring God glory, to glorify him. That's what true love does. Love is doing what is best for someone else. It's not making much of them. No, that's not, what, that's not what true love is. It's not making them feel good about themselves. Instead, true love is doing what is best for someone else, even if they don't see if that is what is best for them. 
You see, God loves us. And as John Piper says in his book, Don't Waste Your Life, this is much of what this message has been based on, is that, that book, and I'd certainly commend it to you, is, is a great book for those who are seeking purpose and meaning in life. Speaking of God's love, he says, God loves us by liberating us from the bondage of self so that we can enjoy knowing and admiring him forever. You see, God knows what we need. He knows that we need to be released from the bondage of self and from sin and from his wrath and Satan's control over our lives. We, 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 we don't know that we need those things before we come to God. But God knows that we need those things. God knows that that is what is best for us, that we might be liberated from self and from the bondage of self so that we can glorify God. And God loved us so much He loved us so much that he is willing to give his life so that we might experience that release. And in turn, we might be able to accomplish our purpose and we might experience true joy in life. You see, God is not using us. He is not acting selfishly. Instead, he acts self-sacrificially, paying the ultimate price so that we might experience ultimate joy in this world. If you ask me, that's a God that should captivate us. That's a God that we should seek to make famous. That is a God that we should seek to glorify. But how? How can we glorify God? We know that we, we can and we should glorify God in everything that we do. We know that, that that brings us ultimate joy in life. But how? How can we glorify God in everything that we do? Well, a few verses later, in the beginning of chapter 11, verse 1, Paul says this, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And this tells us that we can glorify God in everything that we do by imitating Christ. You see, as humans, we, we have been created in the image of God. And what it means for us to be created in the image of God is that not, not that we are created so that we look like God, right? God is not flesh and blood. God is not a man. God is a transcendent being. God is, is spirit. And so being created in the image of God does not mean that we look just like God. Instead, it means that we are created in such a way that we can image his character. We can image his love. We can image his attributes to the world. Now, I know this is going to date me, and you probably haven't ever heard of this, but when I was a teenager, the, the WWJD bracelets were very popular. And, and WWJD stands for What Would Jesus Do? And, and, and I went to a Christian school, grew up going to a, a, a small uh, private Christian school, and, and everybody there had one of these WWJD bracelets that they would wear around every day. Kind of like, you know, Lance Armstrong, you had that Live Strong deal and whatever it is that people wear today, right? Everybody has those little rubber bracelets that they make and they put some sort of message on that. And we would wear those bracelets around as a reminder so that we might ask, you know, what would Jesus do in this situation? How would he treat this person? How would he, he interact with these people? How would he take this test? You know, would he even be here right now? How would he respond to what these people are saying to me? Am I imitating Christ right now with my life? If we're going to glorify God in all that we do, that is what we need to ask. That is what we need to do. We need to imitate Christ in all that we do. 
when we care about and we press into the same things that Jesus does, when we allow his will, his desires, his heart to inform us and to direct how we live our lives, how, how we live and we act and, and we play, then we're on our way to bringing God glory and accomplishing our purpose in life. Now, I know that that is, uh, you know, kind of high level. So, so let me be a bit more concrete here. What are some specific ways in which we can glorify God. What are some specific ways? Let me give you three. You giving yourself to God's mission brings glory to God. Giving yourself to God's mission brings glory to God. In Matthew 28, 19 through 20, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And then if we were to go back to Paul and and his second letter to the Corinthians in verses in chapters three and four, he makes the point that through the ministry of the gospel, God is glorified. His greatness, his power is manifest. You see, Jesus has come and Jesus has paid this this eternal price to redeem us. God has, has literally taken dead men who want absolutely nothing to do with him. And he has raised them from the dead so that they might follow Christ and they might live for him. So that they might follow Jesus. Men who have no desire, they are resurrected to life in Christ. That's how powerful God is. That's how much God loves us. And when you give yourself to God's mission to make disciples, to win the lost and to help those who who have turned to Jesus as their Lord and as their Savior, to understand all of the commandments that God has, has given here in his word, to understand who God is and how he would have us to live. When you give yourself to make disciples, you bring God glory. Now, some of you might do this as a vocational missionary to, to a remote part of this world. Other people might do this through, you know, full-time vocational ministry here in the United States. But, but let me just say that, that you don't have to be a full-time missionary. You don't have to be a full-time minister or even a part-time minister in order to accomplish God's mission. You see, I think we got to, we got to change our paradigm of what it means to live on mission. You know, Jesus tells us that we are to make disciples. As we are going, he tells us that we are to do that. And so what does it mean for us then to live on mission? Well, it means that, that, or where can we live on mission? Excuse me, we can live on mission right here where we are at. Your school campus, your dorm room, your apartment complex, your job, the clubs that you are a part of, the the recreational sports that you play, the, the coffee shop that you gather at when all of this COVID stuff is over with. In all of those places, you should live on mission. You should live seeking to make disciples for the glory of God. And you can do that right in our own neighborhoods. That's one of the reasons that I, I chose the, the graphic for today. It pictures a neighborhood. And we can live on mission right in our own neighborhoods. We can seek to glorify God right where we're at every single day in everything that we do. You can also bring God glory by using the talents he has given you to create something beautiful in this world. 
We talked earlier about the idea that we are created in the image of God and, and God is a, a creating being. He created the entire universe. And not only that, but, but God makes himself known in his word. And we often look at, at the Old Testament, particularly the laws that are there. And we're like, why, why do I have to read this? Why are these laws even there? And let me just say they're there for a number of reasons. But, but one of the reasons that they are there is because they show forth the heart and the character of God. They tell us what God cares about. They tell us how we are to live. That tells us then that when we use our talents to create that which is good, that which lines up with the heart of God, we end up bringing glory to God. And so what we need, we need people who are working in in the arts, creating something beautiful and seeking to shape the culture for the glory of God. We need people who are working for, for social justice. We need builders and creators, whether that be physical or virtual, who seek to create good functioning communities and, and societies. We need people to work for transformation, to bring about life change through ministry, whether that be vocational ministry or whether that be lay ministry. We need people who are going to seek to heal other people, nurses and, and doctors and psychologists and counselors. We need educators. We need people who are going to work in the service industry using the talents that God has given them to serve other people for the glory of God. We need people in all of these industries and more using their talents to create something beautiful and to direct this world to function in the way that matches the heart of God. And when we do that, then we bring glory to God. And lastly, you also bring glory to God by living for Jesus. Now we talked about this a little bit earlier when I said that, that we are to imitate Christ in all that we do, but let me just be, let me be a bit more specific here. We are to live in obedience to God. That is what the Great Commission text says, Matthew 28. We are to seek to not only teach others to, to understand all of what God has said in his word and to live according to that, but we are also to live that out in our own lives as well. That's what it means for us to be a follower of Jesus. That is what it means for us to imitate Jesus. We don't just seek, we don't seek to, to obey God's commandments in order to, to earn our salvation. No, instead what happens is we actually live according to God's commandments out of our salvation. Remember earlier we said that it is Jesus who has bought us with the price and we have the Holy Spirit who lives within us without us coming to Christ without the Spirit living in us, there's no way that we would be able to live for the glory of God. It is absolutely, 100% impossible. But when we come to faith, our hearts change. And our hearts, they, they represent our will, our wants, and our desires. And if we call ourselves a Christian, if we call ourselves a, a follower of Jesus, then, then our hearts should have changed. Now, of course, we can argue that this is certainly a process that takes place over time and our hearts change to be more and more like Christ over time. And we should certainly see that change. But there should be an apparent change in us. Our will, our wants, our desires should change to match Jesus' will, wants, and desires. Instead of living according to our own will, we should desire to live according to God's will. Instead of obeying our own rules for our lives, we should seek to see what does God want us to do? How does God want us to live? And we should not just do that begrudgingly. We should, we should desire that. 
because we know that God is the all-wise, sovereign creator of this universe who has given us purpose and, and meaning in life. You see, part of our, our repentance is us turning from, from walking in our own direction to turning to, to walk and to follow Jesus. We turn from unbelief in God to belief in Him. We turn from living according to our own way and believing our own things to living according to God's way and believing in God. And when we live obedient lives, what ends up happening is that we bring glory to God because we recognize God's wisdom is greater than our own and we give God the rightful place in our life as our King. And when we live according to God's will, we end up bringing God glory. But here's the thing, you cannot live according to God's will and you won't unless you have turned to Jesus as your Lord and Savior. It's impossible to live the Christian life if you are not a Christian. It is impossible to be a follower of Jesus without actually following him. But for those who do believe in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, those who, do, who have repented of their unbelief and their rebellion against God, those whose hearts have been changed, they can live according to God's will. They can bring God glory by living for Jesus. They can accomplish their purpose in life. They can experience true joy, satisfaction, and fulfillment in life. You see, if you seek to glorify God above all else, it doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter how much money you make. It doesn't matter how famous you become. You can rest knowing that you are accomplishing your purpose in life. Now, in saying that, that doesn't mean that you don't pursue a career. That doesn't mean that you don't, you don't seek to discover your major. That doesn't mean that, that you don't change careers from time to time. Instead, it means that your chief aim in everything that you do, whatever major, whatever career, whatever job you pursue, you do it to the glory of God. You approach it in such a way that you seek to bring God's greatness, His value, His worth into focus. Not through a microscope, but through a telescope as you image the great Creator, Savior, and all-sovereign God of this world. Seniors, if you want to accomplish your purpose in life, seek to glorify God in all that you do. And in doing so, you will not only be worshiping God, but you will experience true everlasting joy. I don't know anyone who doesn't want a sense of purpose in their life. I don't know anyone who doesn't want to experience true everlasting joy. And so if you're a believer, let me encourage you. Let me encourage you to press into that. Seek to glorify God in, in everything that you do by imaging His character and His attributes to the world. By seeking to make something beautiful in this world. And if you're not a believer today, know that, that you can accomplish your true purpose in life. Know that you can experience ultimate fulfillment and satisfaction and joy in life. Not by going and pressing on in your own and blazing your own trail. By turning from that and turning to Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior. And today is, is the day of salvation. Today is the day for us to, to turn to Jesus. And so if you have not repented of your sins, if you do not believe that, that Jesus has died for you, you haven't turned from your unbelief in that. Today is an opportunity for you to do that. To turn to Jesus to repent, and to begin following Him today as your Lord and as your Savior.
And so in those ways, we can, we can respond to this message today. We can respond by seeking to glorify God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that, that you don't leave us without meaning and purpose in life. God, we thank you for all that, that you accomplish. And, and, and even as you accomplish that in our life, you, you give us joy. You give us everlasting fulfillment and meaning. God, we thank you for that. And may you help us. May you help us to seek to glorify God, to glorify you in all that we do. We know that that's not easy. We know that that's difficult. God, help us to do that. Be with these seniors as they go out, Lord, as they begin to interact with new people in the world and and take on new responsibilities and new jobs and a new career. Lord, help them to seek to glorify you in everything that they do. And this we pray in Jesus' name.